Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking to a man who has made a career out of getting stuff from there to here. Along the way, he also founded a brand that is revolutionary and one could even say it's life-changing. Too much? Maybe, maybe not. Let's find out as we are joined by the founder of Two Under and the president of Rampion Enterprises, Dave Williams. He is here on the range. Dave, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's always great to uh, to talk with you and uh, very uh, much appreciate the opportunity to always uh, get together, you, uh, you know, with, with you. You're so easy to talk to and kind of interesting about the things that uh, come out of your show. I always like to start this show by learning when did golf enter into your life? Well, you know, I, I did play golf uh, as a young kid. I started actually uh, caddying before I golfed back in the uh, early 60s. And then um, I got out of university and uh, was in the restaurant business uh, for a while. But uh, what really changed my life, uh, Ralph, was when my father came back from a trip to England and he brought back with him something called a bag stand. And uh, back in those days, and I grew up in the Vancouver area where, you know, in the winter, you couldn't even use a golf cart. And, and most people uh, back in those days would wheel their carts around, pull them or push them. But in the winter, you had to carry your bag. And, you know, most of the uh, conditions were pretty wet. So you'd lay your bag down and the bag would get wet and then, you know, you'd be getting wet with it. So this Englishman uh, whose name was Eric Donaldson invented uh, and designed a, uh, um, a contraption called a bag stand, which clipped onto your bag and had a sprung steel mechanism that stood your bag up when you put it upright on the ground. Um, and it, it, I, this was back in uh, the um, early part of the 70s. And, and I got a hold of uh, the idea of perhaps introducing this to the North American market. So I, I sold a sports car I had. I had a, uh, a TR6 and I, I got $5,000, went over there and tried to track this guy down. And uh, I eventually did. It wasn't that easy because he had just moved his factory. And he was actually, a, the family was in the furniture business, but he just uh, dreamed up this idea because he was a golfer himself. So make a long story short, I bought $5,000 worth of these things and uh, started selling them locally in uh, the Vancouver area. And they caught on so fast that I then started to venture a little bit further on it and was able to uh, acquire the North American distribution rights, which set me on a path of, of really marketing this product in the U.S. where there was a huge golf market. And that was the start of my career. And um, um, I really... I, I know a lot of people remember that product because it was so unique. Bringing products to North America back at that time really was the only way you were going to get innovation. There just wasn't a whole lot of golf innovation going on here at this time. No, and it was a it was a pretty closed uh, industry at that time. There there were a few brands, uh, and if you were going to get in the business, it it was really an accessory that would get you there. You couldn't really. Uh, easily break into the club business. Um, you know, the investment required for a lot of the products was was pretty high back in those days. 
So uh, getting into the business with an accessory was uh, a good way for me to start. And, and really it was such a, uh, it was a small industry back then. It was just on the verge of growing, obviously with the, uh, with Jack Nicholas on the scene and, and television and, and whatnot, it was starting to uh, um, grow pretty quickly in the, uh, I would say the late seventies. And of course the real boom happened in the eighties and nineties. And uh, yeah, I just happened to be uh, kind of in the right place at the right time, uh, really through my um, work and trying to market this bag stand throughout the States. I went to a lot of trade shows and Met a lot of people and met a lot of very interesting entrepreneurs just starting out in the golf industry. And uh, eventually, um, I represented a fair number of those um, great new brands as they came out in the 80s and 90s uh, for Canada, because I focused my business uh, in, in Canada, um, really developing brands for the Canadian market. Some of them were my own, but in many cases, they were brands that have gone on to be great American brands. So I, I met the founders of these, of these brands at a very early stage in their career. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, people that was very important in my career was a fellow by the name of Roger Cleveland, who most people know now. Um, he, he started Cleveland Golf, uh, might have started right in the late 70s. I got involved with him very early on. And... Uh, Actually, uh, the story I wanted to tell was uh, back in those days, um, the PGA show, uh, which found a, a permanent, permanent home in Orlando, uh, was down in Miami for a while. And when he came out with his product, and he really just had a couple of specialty uh, products, uh, putters and, and, and wedges, really old school English style equipment. Um, but he had packaged them well, and he had a real love for for golf club clubs and golf club design. And there was another kind of uh, new business uh, making a bit of a name for itself, but uh, it was uh, early on in their days, and that was Callaway. So I was approached by both Callaway and Roger Cleveland to uh, try to make a market for their products at that time in Canada, and. Um, a lot of people joke that it was uh, the worst decision in my life because Callaway took off and, <laughs> and they just uh, never looked back. Uh, Roger Cleveland, uh, you know, retained the business for himself and became a very good club maker. He made great persimmon woods back in the days when they were uh, uh, still popular on tour. Uh, finally made a real name for himself designing wedges and, um, but the, the, for me, um, and it was kind of a, a reflection of the industry back then, it was very, very much a personal people-oriented business. You, when you did business, you did business with owners, not with, um, you know, executive vice presidents and whatnot. It was a very personal business, and there was a lot of uh, uh, personal relationships that, that drove everything back in those days, even for the sales reps and whatnot. Um, it was very much a, uh, a people business. And I, I kind of uh, reflect back uh, to those early days as being the great days of golf because of that. I think to the fact that you went and sought out the first company with, with, with the bag stand and how that 
I would imagine kind of quickly evolved to people meeting you and wanting you then to do business. I mean, suddenly, instead of you researching or finding a, a company or product, they were finding you as a distributor. That's right. I, I think really what happens, uh, you know, in, in a lot of uh, businesses, particularly in their early stages, is uh, if, if you do something well, you get a reputation for for that. And, um, and I was starting, I think, to get a reputation for um, succeeding with new products in the Canadian marketplace. And, and once I had credibility in bringing uh, products to the Canadian golf pros that made them money, then it was easy to bring the next one along. They kind of trusted that uh, what I saw out there uh, was going to succeed for them. So you know, I, when I, I look back uh, to the number of brands I brought to um, the Canadian market, uh, they were all, I think, really great brands started by very ingenious, hardworking people. Um, after uh, Cleveland, and actually a friend of Roger Cleveland uh, was a fellow by the name of Rick Reimers, who founded Sun Mountain Sports, and uh, um, the uh, integration of a bag stand in a bag was really, uh, really developed by Sun Mountain in those days. And while they, they somewhat rendered my stand easy bag stand uh, redundant, uh, I got on board with their product and they made a state of the art product and still do really. And, and Rick Reimers uh, uh, has owned the company for, gosh, it's got to be 40 years now, I guess. Uh, and, and really one of the, uh, in my mind, the great innovators in, in the golf industry. What was it like doing international business in what essentially was a pre-digital age? Bringing products from overseas, bringing the products across borders. No easy process, I imagine. And it took a lot of legwork. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of travel for sure, because uh, communication back, we, we didn't even have facts back in those days. Uh, so there was a lot of, again, one-on-one uh, -on -one interaction. Uh, if you wanted to get something done, well, you went somewhere to do it. You didn't easily pick up a phone necessarily or, or fax or anything like that. So I travel, I think, and, and I always have done that. And you, I think you just have to uh, enjoy meeting people and you have to be confident to go out there and, uh, and, and talk to people and uh, take some chances. You know? Golf technology really exploded in the 90s and certainly after the turn of the century, I, I got to imagine that your opportunities really increased that suddenly at this point you'd become established. And with more and more companies coming out, they, they were looking to somebody like you to help them get it in the, into shops really across North America. Yeah. And I think the difference between a manufacturer or someone developing his own brand and someone who's uh, distributing product like I, I did was uh, I could, I didn't have to necessarily specialize in one thing. So um, while I had Cleveland golf through the eighties and nineties, and that was really growing very quickly with, with their innovations and, and with the growth of the golf industry, I started getting um, into the apparel game for golf, which was the other really big side of it. Um, and um, really what set my career off in a, in a great way, uh, as far as that uh, went, was when I, I met uh, John Ashworth and Jerry Montiel when they were unloading the, mm -hmm. their first samples out of their trunk at this uh, 
at, uh, well, this uh, was in Orlando at the time in the uh, mid 80s. And um, Ashworth, uh, as you know, was an amazing success story, uh, really using Fred Couples as their, as their model. Uh, and the Ashworth story, I'm, I'm sure most people know about it, but it was really, uh, it was almost uh, like a lifestyle brand. It, it caught on and people just wanted to be part of the brand. And, and a lot of it was because of, of Fred Couples and just the image of that cool California image of his and, and how it translated really well into the, a fashion direction um, that was not so golf. It was more like lifestyle. And that was a big, I think, turning point for golf was uh, lifestyle rather than just uh, the sport or an old man sport. It's funny. We just had John Ashworth on probably three or four weeks ago and we're talking about how they literally were learning as they were going and figuring it out and how to design clothes, how to create everything. I mean, it was all really just kind of hit and miss and, and, and trial and error. On a distribution side, I imagine that, did you feel that coming from them? Or as far as you knew, this was just a, a, a great product that was going to do well in the marketplace? Well, it was two things. Again, it was it was the people. I mean, I like John. He was, uh, he was a little bit younger than me, but we were both young people uh, in the industry. And uh, his, the co-founder with John was a fellow by, by the name of uh, Jerry Montiel, a very bright guy. He was a, he was a successful jock, a Colorado, I'm not sure if it was university or Colorado state quarterback. And, and uh, he was a mover and a shaker and uh, he put the money behind this, uh, this business and um, man, it, it grew so fast. Uh, it's hard to put your finger on anything other than Fred Couples and the fact that this stuff looked cool and was different, uh, just uh, just not so traditional golf apparel. Yeah, no no doubt. And speaking of non-traditional golf apparel, <laughs> you started your own brand. Uh, let's talk about Two Under. How did the idea of underwear come about from, from your perspective? Well, um, it really came about from working with another brand that who's, who I won't really talk about too much, but uh, we um, we got involved with a company that had some you know some designs and uh, they um, they uh, got us involved uh, and then decided that uh, they wanted to do things themselves and uh, we thought uh, there was great potential from what we. Uh, experienced in working with their product but we thought we could make a much better product if we really put our our minds to it and one of the companies that i represented for close to 12 or 15 years was ogio uh, another great innovative uh, company mm -hmm. a golf bag company um, one of their designers i got very close to in the process of uh, working international business with them uh, rocky harris uh, he had been hired by Cleveland, actually, away from OGO, and uh, he wasn't as happy as he thought he'd be um, in that corporate environment, um, and this this is about eight years ago now, so, um, and I remember many years ago, I, I said to, to Rocky, hey, if you ever feel like coming to Canada and working with us, we'd love to have you, 
anyway, he said, geez, it might be a good time. He, just, he had a couple of kids and wanted to try to do something different. So, and he was a very good designer. So um, Rocky and I got together and started working on this pro on, on that particular uh, project and uh, got, uh, got a booth at the Orlando PGA show about six years ago. And, um, didn't get a lot of interest except really from the media that saw this as really kind of different. So we, um, we gave a few pairs out to people and, um, right away started getting some very positive feedback and, uh, and, uh, put together a, um, well, I didn't put it together. Actually, um, uh, our great uh, sales manager, Jack Curry put together a sales force cause he came to us and, uh, thought uh, he could help us, which he's done a great job in doing. So, but we were very golf focused at the time. I, obviously it was another scenario where uh, if you have credibility, people will take a chance with, with something new. And, uh, and um, luckily we, uh, you know, we uh, convinced to enough people to give it a, a shot and lo and behold, uh, seemed like uh, things uh, grew pretty quickly from it. There is certainly a parallel there with bringing in Rocky because at being an OGO, they had started as a golf company and then expanded through your help into other areas of sport and travel and, and lifestyle. And that's kind of exactly what happened with Two Under is it started as a golf product that really quickly expanded beyond that into all sorts of athletic performance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Rocky and I really like to work with product that we want to wear ourselves. I think it, it all started from, from I think, uh, those origins. And um, most of what we're doing right now is uh, is about comfort, really. Uh, you get to a stage in your life, and certainly with how uh, the informality of business has evolved, um, you can... Um, you can see how people really uh, have embraced the notion of wearing comfortable things to work and, and um, especially now working at home, um, working in, you know, comfortable clothing and, uh, and whatnot just sort of really ties into the whole comfort aspect uh, of two under. So, you know, we, we really spent a lot of time in researching our, our fabrications because that's the, uh, next to your skin is really most of what we sell. So we really look for something that feels great next to the skin. And then we can sort of uh, expand um, on that um, cosmetically. And, uh, and that's really what we've done today. We're starting to have some fun with uh, our prints and things because uh, they're, you know, that's where Rocky kind of excels. He's a pretty imaginative young guy and, uh, um, so we're, uh, you know, starting to work a little bit uh, on the polo side of things. And, but, uh, you know, our base layer, our T-shirts, our loungewear, and uh, which we're now really calling at work wear because we're all working from home these days. <laughs> or most, or so many of us are. So, but it's all really uh, things that uh, we, we have a personal interest in. With a background in distribution, you've got to be at your core a numbers guy. I imagine that you're thinking with an accountant's mind so much of the time because you're thinking about how much it is, how much this adds up to and all that. And with Two Under, you created not just a great product, but a product that you knew was not going to be inexpensive. 
You are going to need proper materials. You're going to need to actually create something in, in, in a Joey pouch that was really manufactured. So this was going to cost money to, you weren't going to make a cheap, cheap product. That had to feel like, you know, something of a leap of faith to, to say, I'm going to make a really quality product and I'm going to invest in that product and I'm hoping it's going to pay off in the back end. Yeah, I mean, there were some very big decisions for me in, in starting up this brand. Um, and a lot of it stemmed from the, uh, the financial commitment to do it, especially, uh, especially at, at, at my age. I, you know, I, I couldn't afford to make a lot of mistakes in my age and recover <laughs> from them, but uh, it, it requires a, a leap of faith uh, for sure. But uh, I don't know what business doesn't really require that. Um, and I, I, I'm definitely, uh, when we talk about the uh, evolution of golf, a lot of these golf companies that started back in the day were were very much personal businesses. You had to know, you had to have some accounting, uh, understanding of accounting and not only cost accounting, but managing your accounts as a, as a wholesaler, you're, you were primarily managing uh, your inventory and your accounts receivable. You had to collect the money because that's um, that was a, a, a big part of all of it. Credit cards weren't used to pay for things and, and whatnot. So you really had to, uh, you had to manage all those parts of your business pretty well. And uh, that's where a lot of the, the great design people and whatnot kind of faltered. Well, they had great ideas and, and their products were good. Just running a business uh, was the other side of it. So um I luckily got schooled in that at a very early age. And uh, so I, you know, I, I still like figures. You're right. I am kind of a figures guy. Um, so that's, uh, that's a, a big part of um, what I do in just terms of uh, managing and growing our business, making sure that on the financial side, um, we're, um, we're successful. I'm imagining what it was like when Rocky first started uh, showing some of the patterns that he had come up with, with, with some of the original designs. And, you know, anyone who's paid attention to your lines knows there's a lot of double entendres in the names and designs of some of your underwear. What was your reaction as you saw some of these coming in? Was it shock or, or did you just get a, a good laugh and you say, yeah, that, that's fun. That's going to work. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's an interesting relationship that Rocky and I have. I mean, I do have some design background, but I don't consider myself a designer. I, I have a good uh, sense uh, for color and whatnot. So I feel pretty confident uh, that if I like something, it's, uh, it's going to work out there for the average guy. But um, that's where you, you know, if you leave it up to the average, you never really make a name for yourself. You've got to have a little adventure uh, in all of this. And I think that uh, that's the, that's a good part of it for Rocky and I, I'm kind of the conservative guy he's out there. So, um, and I, you know, I've, I've learned that um, people, you know, not everybody wants the safe stuff. There's a lot of people that want to be different. And uh, a lot of the things that I think, uh, uh, wouldn't work so well have proven to work really well. So I, uh, I, I trust my own instincts, but I, I, I do rely on the fact that, uh, especially in underwear, it's, it's a huge market out there and a lot of people have a lot of fun with it. So we're having fun with it. And I, I like the fact that we can 
we can do some fun things and, and, and not sit in front of a buyer that says, we don't have a market for that. So I think uh, um, people have um, given us a pretty good chance to uh, prove that uh, what, what we think will be um, marketable out there actually um, works for them as well. We're, we're not 100% right, but we've been right a lot more than we've been wrong anyway. Speaking of fun, do you have a favorite model that maybe is just always, you know, delighted you, made you laugh? Just that name and, and, and the style, just, yeah, that, that that's a good one. That's a really funny one. Um, well, there's there's a, definitely a lot of them. Um, I think that we, we had fun with something called, we called Cool Runnings, and it was really the colors of Jamaica. And, and um, we were thinking back on the Calgary Olympics and the uh, Jamaican bob- mm-hmm. bobsled team and and whatnot, and um, I think people uh, relate to the um, our associations in our names as well. And um, we, um, we we've come up with with um, some pretty fun stuff that's been um, really almost uh, has a folk story as well. And we're working on some things right now that that I think. Uh, are quite theme oriented. It's maybe a bit of my personality that I, I like to work with themes. So we've got some, I think, really fun themes coming up where uh, I think and before we were one-offs, you know, we do one of these things and, and um, presenting a, a collection was just a whole bunch of one-offs. And it's not like we're getting totally away from that, but when we see something that we can create in a couple of different colorways, like a, a camouflage or something, uh, or paisleys or things like that, or we're uh, working on new uh, themes for what uh, originally came up uh, as a, uh, we call it the freedom print. It was a Patriot print and we've done very well with it. It's probably been our most successful print. Well, I think there's, there's a theme there that we can expand upon um, not only in the design, but also in the coloring. So all those things are, are kind of just little personal ways that we, uh, see ourselves working with with underwear there's no doubt about it that the print side of things is is uh very much where the interest is i mean people are still buying um you know black gray and navy underwear but um in terms of gifts and fun things i think the print kind of represents kind of the fun aspect of it particularly if you're giving the underwear as a gift well, when you talk about the collections, I mean, that's something you've been able to really expand on over recent years, matching an underwear to a sock now with polos and the button downs and in different variations. It's not to say, OK, I'm going to match all the way down head to toe, but it more is giving people an option to say, this is a really cool pattern. This way I can enjoy it in maybe a different way that actually shows off my fashion. Yeah, I think really with socks, I mean, they're it's, it's not like we're on the leading edge of, of, of that um, particular product, but we certainly have found that our prints, um, many of them translate really well to socks and that men are, are really interested in wearing um, some color out there too. Um, and um, it's very fun. Uh, I, I think the sock side of things will be a, um, a good uh, direction for us to uh, try to f- focus on a bit more, uh, particularly as they can be combined with underwear for gifts and, uh, and, and just the uh, particular application of our prints to socks make them kind of interesting. You also have a project 
based there. Talk about the balance that you have with, with you know, an, an emerging brand like that, where something that's successful with two under, can you leverage the success of one brand and, and help to distribute the other? Uh, yeah, I mean, we can. We've sort of held off in doing it a little bit because we don't want to uh, uh, move too under too far away from our, our I wouldn't really call it core competency, but we have uh, we have designs that are um, protected and unique and um, and uh, a big market to uh, appeal to internationally. And it, it kind of boils down to where are you going to put your money? Are you going to put it where you can get the, uh, the best growth and the best return uh, on it? And um, so we've kind of stuck to uh, the, the past few years as the two under brand has grown so quickly, really to that brand. The, the other brand is a, a bag brand um, called Project. Uh, and we've been primarily selling it in the Canadian marketplace, but we may... Um, you know, get behind that a little bit more in terms of growing that brand. And um, we could definitely do some things under the two under name with, with things like that. And we have done it, but again, I think we want to focus really on the underwear as much as anything else and, uh, and try to, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep focused on that. We always wrap up our talks here on the range by talking about a favorite club that people have from over the years, but instead, <laughs> do you have a favorite product that you brought to market over the years, something that you you came across this and you knew it was a game changer. And you can't say it's two under. <laughs> uh, no, well, I mean, really, it started with the Stand Easy Bag Stand because that got me in the industry. It was a very unique product and really started my career. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, when I, when I look back on it, a very important uh, product for me because it was very unique. And um, obviously there was a need for it and, um, and this product fulfilled the need and that put me in business. So uh, that, that's always one of the things you look for uh, when you're, you're trying to um, do something successful is, is there a need for it? And uh, so I think there really was a need for it. I brought that product to the North American market and I've, uh, I've never looked back since then. And I've, I've stayed in golf because of it, because it got me into a great industry at a young age. And uh, there just has never seemed to be, in, in my mind, a better place to be than in, in the golf industry. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on The Range. For anyone who's seen our talks over the years on the Golf Spotlight, they know that you definitely enjoy the fun that comes from the Two Under brand. Uh, I hope they can appreciate the great business that's going on behind the scenes and all that you've been able to deliver to the game and to players all around. So thank you again for joining us. Well, thanks, Ralph. It's always great to see you and and great to talk to you. And without having, uh, with the PGA show, uh, a virtual show this year, there's uh, we kind of missed the people component of it. So I sure hope we get that back uh, as soon as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not soon enough for sure. Thanks, Dave. Okay, thanks, Ralph. Take care. That was Dave Williams, and simply put, 200 is a very special and fun brand. You can call it a luxury, I suppose, but it extends beyond the course and is almost always going to bring you a smile. I recommend you check them out. They're really good products. 
Before we go, the PGA of America announced that they will be allowing distance measuring devices for its major championships this year. Of course, that means May's PGA Championship at Kiowa Island, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, and the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship. This certainly follows an expected path as such devices are now recognized in the rules of golf and likely it's a prelude to full inclusion across professional golf. While most amateurs use laser rangefinders with a slope feature, those will not be available in competition. There is talk about this move helping to increase the pace of play. I know that would work in amateurs. It does work with amateurs. But let's be honest, with the pros, I don't think it will. All this will tell players is the distance to a pin or a target. Professional caddy books already have numbers listed calculating slope factors and the contours of greens. And that is the information that the professional players use the most. And they certainly will continue to so do. What might be the biggest impact to this move is for players to now be able to see a target with six times magnification. That's something previously unavailable to them. And where this may be impactful as well is if use of GPS devices grows. A GPS unit is considered a distance measuring device as well, and use on the Pro Tours may increase improved options for the general public going forward. In fact, that could replace the yardage book altogether, and that would definitely increase the pace of play. Over the years on the Golf Spotlight, we've talked with the folks at Bushnell, Skygolf, and others about the technology leaps in distance measuring devices, so I recommend you visit thegolfspotlight.com to learn more. In fact, you can subscribe there to our YouTube feed so you never miss an episode, because more products are in the pipeline that will be entering the marketplace soon. To stay up to date on the range, follow us on Instagram at The Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. We welcome your comments everywhere, anytime. You've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. Anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, you'll find The Range. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. That'll do it for this episode of The Range, so while we try to figure out how to get from the tee to the green, just know that everything in your golf game already traveled from far away to get to you now. It's crazy. Enjoy your game, and we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.